when we set out to talk about all things digital and all things accessible, that's exactly what we wanted to do. We wanted to have a look at all the digital devices and technologies and to have a look at how accessible they are. And we covered over the last five episodes a whole series of issues from a broad sweep of what was happening on the technological front to internet security, to standards and compliance of those standards that would assure us of accessible devices. And that's brought us to this stage. Welcome again, and this is the final episode for All Things Digital, All Things Accessible. And today we're going to be taking your questions. And with me to help out with this whole process is Dr. Scott Hollier and Sinead Quinn. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Kenneth. Now, are you ready for the questions? I think we are. (laughs) We will try. (laughs) All right, seatbelts on and we're going to take off. We're going to start off with the first question. And the first question comes from Jackie Dodds. And her question is, is there anything out there, Mr. Scott, to help us with cutting food? It's a really good question. I think what's been interesting is that there's been a lot of development around connecting things through uh, digital smart speakers like Google Home and Amazon Echo to do food-related things. So I'm not aware of anything specifically to cutting food. There are a few interesting developments. Just uh, recently, there's been a company that's made a uh, popcorn maker that's been uh, connected to the Google Home so you can give commands and it uh, does things. So um, Sinead may have some more information about uh, specifics on cutting food, but I think it is encouraging that there's a lot of innovative things around uh, how we can connect everyday devices so that we can give verbal commands to things like digital smart speakers, which is a, a really innovative way to go. Mm. Right. Now, Sinead, before you start, let me tell the listeners who you are. And Sinead is an occupational therapist, but also helps out with adaptive technology right here at Visibility. Sinead, over to you. Yeah, well, (laughs) when we were talking about this just before, we were trying to compare notes on what do we do with our knives skills in the kitchen, became evident is actually we're quite low tech in the kitchen in terms of using using knives. We, I guess, logically, we work with food in a way where you're tactile and you're feeling, but you're being safe while you're doing it. So uh, there are some techniques with using knives where you've got to feel the food that you're working with and then slowly and confidently be able to move the knife in to chop confidently that you're not hurting your fingers. <laughs> there are some like low-tech options where you have finger guards that can protect your fingers as you're chopping. There are veggie stick slices that can chop up soft vegetables for you. There are processes and graters that, you know, you can grate your cheese or your carrot uh, so you're not having to rely heavily on sharp knives. You know, there are the more fancy technologies like your thermo mixers that are supposed to be able to prep food for you. But if you're not able to afford those sorts of technologies, it's just coming back to simple techniques. And our occupational therapists here at Visibility are more than happy to come out and look specifically at those options. I know for me, I just have 
have a high contrast chopping board. So I prefer the colour of blacks because I've still got some vision and that simple contrast works well for me. So then I can see, you know, if I'm cutting a bright orange carrot, I can see kind of the contrast differences. And I guess practice makes perfect with any of these fiddly things. Mm, that's good. Okay, so now switching from food for the tummy to food for the brain, this question comes from Laura and Laura's question is, hi, I'm a student at uni and I'm studying a science subject and it's a big struggle when I have to look at materials that embeds graphs and diagrams. Is there anything out there that can help me out? I think this is a great question and unfortunately it does highlight one of the uh, limitations. I mean, as we've talked about throughout this series, there's lots of great solutions and technologies to help with accessibility, but anything in the area of STEM with science, technology, engineering and mathematics still remains um, a challenge. For example, if you take, a say, a novel, it's mostly text and you can fairly straightforwardly feed that through a screen reader and get all the content. But what happens when you run into a graph? What happens if you run into a chemical equation or mathematical symbols? It can be really tricky. Some things that can be useful is that there is a markup called MathML, and this is basically how maths can be presented on web pages. And screen readers can, to some degree, pick up mathematical equations using a MathML markup. However, more broadly, it is a really tricky thing. Uh, something that might be worth having a look at, there was a conference uh, two years ago called the Web for All, W4A, from uh, 2016, and the conference was held in uh, Montreal in Canada. And there were three research papers presented in that conference, all of which looked at how can we make STEM materials more accessible. So, I mean, the short answer is that at the moment, this is still the really tricky part of access, Yes, there's still some ways to go for that. Sinead, I think you were saying before yeah. there's some good practical tips on what to it do. It depends, I guess, on your level of vision. So if you've got a low level of vision but you've still got some functional vision like myself, when I went through university I used a software called OpenBook with Pearl Camera where you're able to take an image of any textbook print or any diagrams within it and it puts it through onto your computer screen and you have the option of viewing it in its unformatted print, so just reading the print with your text-to-speech software within OpenBook. But then you also have the option of viewing it in exact view, where you can view the diagram, zoom up on that diagram as needed, and then also access the print around that diagram, so the labels within the software where it can read it to you. So I guess that, for me, gave me a good understanding of the human biology diagrams I was looking at. But it's reliant, I guess, on vision again. So that's where I think the tricky line is, is then when you're not able to to see, that's where I guess, Scott, you're saying it's lacking, isn't it? Having the options to understand what you're looking at. Yeah, unfortunately. The encouraging thing is that there is a lot of research going on to try to find a, uh, a more straightforward way to uh, help make this accessible. And as we were talking about uh, when it comes to international standards, certainly trying to incorporate a more consistent way of presenting things like graphs and, uh, and chemical equations is something that is really being closely looked at. So I think yeah. in the not-too-distant future, we'll start to see a more consistent way in which these can be presented in web content, and then hopefully mm -hmm. from there, 
it'll um, become accessible uh, to things like screen readers. For example, even with the KNFB app for Windows 10, I emailed the tech support a few months back asking if they had the option of having that exact view of the diagrams incorporated into the app. And they said it is something they're working on. So I guess, yeah, the technology is working towards greater accessibility all over as that app is a little bit more affordable within the Windows app store. Mm. Okay, now moving on to something which is in the retail therapy side of life. This question comes from Anonymous and her question is, is there something that will help me out when I'm in unfamiliar surroundings? I go out to the shopping centres and I want to shop, but it's hard to begin to experience the shopping retail therapy when you don't know what shops are out there. What can I do? It's an excellent question. Just recently on uh, the ABC News, there's a project being undertaken uh, by the University of Technology, Sydney, where they fitted out a shopping centre with Bluetooth beacons, and then you could use an app to help you navigate. So there are some solutions like that. The trouble is that the shops need to put those Bluetooth beacons in place to uh, make it work. I think, broadly speaking, I mean, one of the great things about GPS is it's fantastic for outdoor navigation, but we do still struggle to figure out the best solution for indoor. I mean, there are ways you can sort of triangulate Wi-Fi hotspots and the signal strengths to get around, and there's been some research around that. Um, But yes, the silver bullet solution still evades us. But there are some great apps around which can help, um, and uh, probably the two best, certainly the free options at the moment, is uh, Seeing AI by Microsoft, which is on iOS devices, and on both Android and iOS is one called ID, E-Y-E-D. And these apps basically allow you to, say, take photos of your environment, and they can uh, let you know basically what you're looking at. Um, They can also scan text in images. One other thing which is also just starting to roll out now, and I think this will have really good potential as it starts to reach Android devices, and that is Google Lens. And Google Lens is a way where it coordinates GPS with the photo that you're taking. So that, for example, if you take a photo of a restaurant, it'll not only tell you it's a restaurant, but it will tell you what restaurant it is, and it will also give you the menu to the restaurant and tell you if it's accessible getting into that restaurant. And so it basically pulls together all these different functionalities with Google's um, GPS plus text and a whole stack of things to um, make it useful. So there are a number of apps out there which can be helpful. There's no easy way for indoor navigation as yet, but some of these apps uh, yeah, can be really helpful in understanding the environment. Mm. Now, I'm looking at it from the point of view as a guy, and I go out there and I shop, and I shop based on what I need, and I know exactly what I'm looking for. But women have this wonder of window shopping. And <laughs> how does that help a, a woman who goes out there and says, well, you know, I want to shop, but this thing tells me what the name of the shop is, but what it doesn't tell me it's what it's about. I'm not touching this one. Uh, oh, I think I'll, uh, I'll, I'll hand over to, uh, to Sinead. So. That's a very good question, Kenneth. <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to put myself in the, in the mindset that you've just created there for us where I'm standing out the front of a shop going, I wonder what's in this store. What would come to mind straight away would be, um, you know, I have my smartphone in my pocket. I would probably be just as easy to Google the name of the store, you know, through Siri or whatever search engine you'd like and see online what the store can offer before even stepping in. Mm-hmm. Um, either that or you could always ask your shop <laughs> assistant walking in. I don't know if there's a high tech option for it. What I actually wanted to ask Scott was when he talked about the I slash D app was 
from my understanding when I've used that app is it, it tells you in a radius of where you are what shops and facilities are around but I've not actually tried it within a shopping centre so if you were in a shopping centre, would it still be able to tell you within a 100-metre radius, you know, that there is a Myers nearby or is it not quite facilitated for those big shopping centres? Mm. That's a great question. The, the upshot is that because of GPS um, and the app relies heavily on GPS functionality, uh, it would work if you're going around the outside of the shopping centre okay. but not the inside. So yeah. the way it works is you can choose the Around Me feature. It'll then tell you, like, do you want food or ATM or shops? And you'd go to, in this case, shops. And then mm. it would tell you uh, what shops are closest to you. And when you tap on the shop, it will then use Google Maps to actually give you turn-by-turn instructions. Yeah. And as the question uh, before that Kenneth mentioned uh, explained, uh, that works quite effectively outdoors. And, look, that's awesome that... You know, myself as a legally blind person, I if I've got mobile connectivity, I, I never have to worry about being lost if I'm outdoors. And that's a that's a great thing thanks to these apps. But indoors, it's always tricky. I think the best things that you can use that app for would probably be to uh, take photos of your surroundings and then it will tell you uh, what you're looking at. And also you can um, it'll take photos of text and it will tell you what that text yeah. is. So it's a bit hit and miss in that regard. It's certainly not as effective as outdoors. But yeah, if you're not sure of your surroundings, and also even just being able to pick up an object and read what that object is. I mean, the other day I was going through cans of soup and trying to figure out which one I wanted, so I used the ID app and it told me which soup it was and, uh, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's the one I'm looking for. So, so you use that with the ID not, yes. app, not the Seeing AI one? Yeah, because I have an Android device, so I don't have Seeing AI on my device, sadly. And here's a of plug to, to Microsoft. If you just want to release it for Android as well, that would be excellent. <laughs> um, but yeah, I basically with ID, I went to the see um, text in image option. I pulled out cans of soup and I took photos until I got the one that read out uh, what I wanted. Good and to then, see. Um, it's effective yeah, there too. Then yeah. I, I use that. So, you know, it's not uh, a silver bullet solution, um, but that is something. And look, I just also want to acknowledge the fantastic questions. Unfortunately, they do highlight some of the, uh, the limitations at the moment, but it does show that, uh, yeah, these are the things that people need. Mm. Now, I'm pushing the envelope a little bit for Anonymous. And is there a possibility or is there something out there that gets real data, real time? For example, a woman who's shopping in a supermarket or in any other retail establishment and their specials, will they be able to take advantage of specials that are appearing maybe on a daily basis or maybe during different times of the day? There's uh, heaps of apps that will give you uh, real-time information about specials and uh, one of the challenges of the internet is things like junk mail but uh, if you want to be constantly alerted to things I mean that you can do it through social media platforms you can get specific apps there's uh, lots of uh, coupon saving apps and uh, daily special apps and uh, and lots and lots of information I don't know Sinead yeah. if you have some specifics but uh, yes not, not really but other than you know Woolworths and Coles apps I know that they're updated how effective they are at showing the special for that specific shop I'm not 100% sure the, yeah. the danger for me is that I'm on both uh, Domino's and Red Roosters. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I get flooded with um, pizza vouchers and things, which is uh, a good thing if you want pizza, not yeah. so good for the waistline. So. Absolutely. Now, here's a very interesting question, and this comes from Jacqueline Underwood, who actually is a staff member right here at Visibility. And her question specifically is, Dr. Scott, will there be a robot guide dog? I reckon the answer is yes. Um, I think there will. But there could also be 
a robot human human designed <laughs> robot next to you which you can hang on to the arm of so mm-hmm. I think there's um, a lot of options so we were just talking before uh, this that yeah there's a lot of developments in Japan uh, we see robots a lot in um, certainly building cars um, in factory floors uh, there's been a number of news items recently about uh, robot servants um, around the house uh, certainly robot vacuum cleaners are quite common and uh, yeah look there, there are robot pet dogs um, I don't think there's any reason that there can't be a, a robot guide dog but yes it could also be a, a robot human sized companion to assist you as well so true think, actually yeah. I heard my friend has a uh, robot cat to keep him company so it's like a companion I guess hmm. but without the responsibility of it being real <laughs> <laughs> And I guess that's the thing, like like any technologies, I mean, it could have uh, huge benefits, especially given that, uh, you know, people often have several guide dogs during their lifetime, as yeah. a robot dog could potentially last uh, longer. However, the other thing is that, you know, you wouldn't want the robot dog to get a flat battery just as you're trying to cross a busy road, for example. So then you have to carry you and the robot dog back to uh, be charged. So, you know, like all technologies, there could be um, really profound benefits to that. But uh, yeah, there could be issues too. So we'll see what happens. Stay tuned. Eh? Yes. <laughs> Now, an extension to that same question, perhaps maybe uh, uh, canes, the the canes that we use. I understand that in some parts of the world, like um, like in Britain, there are canes which are fitted in with sensors. Do you do you know much about what's going on in that field? Yeah, there's been um, some really interesting developments recently. I mean, if we go back to, say, the 1980s, we had some of the laser canes, which would basically point a laser around head height so it could pick up things like trees so like that would just be a basic on off sensor so it would beep if you came close to a tree to stop you from um, getting hit in the head so the idea of having sensors on canes isn't new but uh, yeah there's a whole stack of cane wearables more broadly um, applications where you can uh, have sensors to help with things there's um, also a, a jacket out there for people who are vision impaired that Intel made where it will vibrate across your tummy from right to left depending on what side and where objects are that you're approaching so um, and the vibrations get uh, you know more frequent depending on how close the object gets so uh, yeah I mean I guess if you were coming across big objects you'd get a massage at the same time as um, <laughs> you know, um, orientation mobility but uh, yeah it's interesting that there's um, there's a lot of development now my next question comes from a conversation I had with a friend of mine and obviously he doesn't want his name to be spoken about so I will call him anonymous too and his question surrounds the idea of gadgets that are part of the encouragement of self-monitoring your health status we're talking about glucometers we're talking about things if you have diabetes or if you have a heart problem what is there out there that's accessible? I think in terms of accessibility, there's a few good devices. Unfortunately, I'm not aware of anything that's both accessible and helps with glucose, but there are devices like the Apple Watch, which I think showcase how a wearable can be accessible, as the Apple Watch has the uh, voiceover screen reader functionality and magnification, and it does have a lot of sensors built into it. So the great thing about something like the Apple Watch is that uh, it does a lot of e-health related activities and it can monitor quite a few things. There's a lot of other products out there that can monitor uh, using sensors as wearables. So certainly we have the technology to do it. And Sinead, I think you might have some uh, more information on this. Yes. I guess you have your talking glucometers that people have used for a while now. There is also a new idea out there where it's a continuous glucose monitoring system. So it's a CGM. And the idea being that a little thing attaches to your skin 
where it has a sensor that inserts into your skin and it's able to continuously monitor your glucose and speak to an app on your Android or Apple device and it can remind you or send you alerts on this app if your glucose is wavering too high or too low. So that there's that, but there's a, a range of different CGM devices out there. So I would probably recommend talking to Diabetes Australia for a little bit more information on, on those sorts of things. I've spoken to them before and they're quite helpful. That's great. Now, Scott, this one's probably more down your alley. We talked about silver and that comes from the periodic table AG accessibility guide. If we think outside of the countries that we've so far spoken about, talk Japan. I mean, there's so much going on in Japan. Are there any devices which lend themselves to greater accessibility in Japan which we aren't aware of? And does that bring us into taking all of what's available together? And according to the periodic table, it's accessibility universal, which is AU, which is gold. (laughs) <laughs> we can uh, ask W3C if they want to uh, kick off a new standard of, uh, of gold. I like the idea. <laughs> Look, the short answer is that a lot of technological developments are still being centred around mobile because, uh, especially in a lot of developing countries, uh, the mobile device is the cheapest and easiest way to get online. Uh, so, you know, in, in many countries, people don't have desktop computers or even um, big tablets. Um, yeah, the phone is everything, and that is the gateway to being online. So a lot of solutions and accessible solutions are still largely being centred around the uh, mobile being the device that we can assume everyone has on them. Uh, it be interesting in countries like Japan, though, as they're often at the forefront of, of technical innovation. Um, I think robotics, like we've already discussed, is uh, a big part of it. And the silver standard that's being developed by W3C, it is aiming to incorporate not just web, not just apps, but uh, as we talked about on the previous podcast, also including things like driverless cars, robotics, uh, Internet of Things, augmented reality, virtual reality. And whilst it's very ambitious to try to create a standard that uh, covers all of these things, I think what we can draw a lot of comfort from is the fact that as new technologies emerge, there is consideration about how we make sure these things are accessible right from the get-go. And that's uh, that's something I find encouraging because up until now, it's often been the case that we've had a new technical development and then it's taken some time before that has become accessible. But uh, yeah, the idea that uh, we can have that broader support to make sure that new technologies are accessible, I think uh, really has uh, a lot of promise for the future. Fantastic. Now, so we've come to the point where we can identify that there's a growing access to new technologies that will help people with vision impairment. But the one thing we don't have access to is additional time. So we've come to the end of our program. We've come to the end of this series, All Things Digital and All Things Accessible. And it remains for me to thank Dr. Scott Hollier, who's been with us for all six episodes, and to Sinead Quinn, who's joined us on this Q&A episode. Thanks, guys, and thanks very much for lending us all your expertise. Thanks, Kenneth. It's been great to be involved. Yeah, it's been great to be here. Now keep listening to Visibility Radio On Demand and until we see you again, this is Kenneth Poir signing off.
And this episode was edited by Matthew Clark.